leading us through that time of prayer, a time of uh, welcoming. I'd like to echo the welcome here this morning. We're glad that you could join us uh, for worship here this morning. This is a special time, it's a special community, and I'm glad that we can be together um, through this time. I always like to show you where we've been and what we've done. This is uh, last week at the bake sale. The uh, outpouring of generosity was incredible, but I wanted to thank especially uh, not just the people who donated, the people who organized it. Can I see the Philly missions team who's going in two weeks? This is from March 7th to March 14th, if not correct me. Am I correct? Is that the right dates? Okay, I don't see anyone standing. Where, where's our team? There's our team. Okay, there they are. Very good. Excellent. Good. Excellent. Good. Excellent. So these men and women have given up their spring breaks in order to serve God uh, in Philly, Kensington Square. So please remember to pray for them along with the other people we mentioned uh, this morning. So it's interesting because in anticipation of not having lunch, um, many of the PCC members made you guys sandwiches, made hot dogs for you guys, and uh, we don't have that for you this week. And it was interesting because we had a debate whether or not we should make sandwiches during your snack time and give you something to eat before you go to your white harvest. But uh, what Adam was mentioning earlier about unity in a body, we felt like if we really want to be unified with the Chinese, we decided not to do that. So just regular snacks. But Julie told me that the middle school students are welcome to snacks today. So it's a special day. You guys get to come to snacks, so you guys can be happy that you guys get some snacks today. Okay. All right. So I don't have any pictures of this, but I wish I did. Adam told me you guys had a YF formal uh, last Friday, and um, I don't have a single picture. I don't know why I don't face anything on Facebook. Please face something on Facebook so I could see, but I think Adam told me you guys had a great time. He and his social team decorated the uh, lunchroom and had a, a very nice social, I understand, so I'm glad that you guys got to enjoy that. Uh, ACF copied you guys and had something called, uh, it was called a formal, then it turned to a semi-formal, then turned to a fancy dance, then turned to a fancy dancey. So it was all kinds of things. I was confused about what you guys were doing, but they played games together, and it was really special to see you guys interact in a way that I don't often get to see you guys interact. And Jessica and Richard uh, tried to teach us to waltz. Some people are very elegant and very uh, excellent at waltzing. Some look more like sumos on ice skates, but we <laughs> tried our very best to do it, and thank you uh, for leading us through that. That was a very uh, special time together. And also, um, what Adam just mentioned to us, Pastor Hans, Irene, four boys, I'm sorry, I don't know the name of all the boys, will be coming uh, this coming week. Wednesday, they're going to visit RISE. Thursday, visit the ACF leaders meeting. Friday, come here to PCC to visit the Chinese cell groups, the um, cell group A, and uh, YF and JYF. On Saturday, he'll spend time with the Chinese leaders, the council members, and then cell group B on Saturday night. Sunday, he'll be here to speak to us in combined service. So what Adam mentioned is that we're looking for confirmation from our church that he and his family are a good fit for us, and also for Pastor Hans and Irene, are, are we a good fit for them? So on both sides, we need to pray and understand God's leading about the fit. And uh, like Adam, I too am very excited that God has brought him into our midst, and we continue to pray and ask the Lord to give both sides uh, confirmation about his leading. Okay, so let's get back now to where we are in John. John 2, we talked about water into wine. John 3, we jumped into Nicodemus in the concept of being born again. Chapter 4, we talked about 
the Samaritan woman at the well. Also, chapter 4, we talked about the nobleman. His uh, son that was being very ill came to Christ for help. And then just last week, Adam brought us through the um, lame man at the pool of Siloam. And so we got halfway through chapter 5, or partly through chapter 5. We're going to continue in chapter 5 today. So today, I'm going to warn you, it's a little bit, it's not a story. We've been doing basically stories all the way up to John. Today's a little more teaching narrative. So why don't we stand together and read our passage today from John 5 here. Okay, ready? My father is working until now, and I myself am working. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Father, thank you that you are working in your creation, in your people, in this world that we live in. You're working all around us. May our eyes be open to your work, to your love for your people, for your love for your creation. And may we, like Christ, come alongside you, submitting our wills to yours, knowing that when we follow you and your will line up with you, not only will we be in your will, but we'll be the most satisfied, most joyful creatures on this earth. Pray these things in your name. Amen. May be seated. So this part of the passage, oh, does anyone not have a journal for John book? We have ushers here. If this is your first time here, we'd like you to just raise your hand. We have some journals here. Here's, I think, David. Anyone else need a book? We have journals. This is our gift to you. Anyone else need a journal for John book? Okay. Uh, Back here, I'm at, right here. Okay. Oh, Jackie, you need one? Oh, we need one. (laughs) Okay. All right, we have one here. Okay, good. All right, good. Anyone else? Raise hand. Raise hand. Okay, Hannah. Okay, Hannah, anyone's over here? Jimmy and a friend here? Okay. Keep your hand up so we can get you one. But this is special because we want you to, to um, know John, have something to, to take with you. Even if you're just visiting for the day, we want you to have one. Any more? Any more? Back here, back here. Michael needs one back here. Okay. All right, good. I'm glad. We have these books for you. We want you to use them. But... If you've been with us, you kind of see the progression through John. And now Christ kind of steps back and he does kind of like just a teaching session. I'm going to teach you about what my father's doing. I'm going to teach you a little about Trinity. I'm going to teach you about knowing God's will. So we're going to kind of learn this today as we go together. So um, this is a kind of special time for us to uh, see Christ teach us the passage. So here's what he taught us first here. First thing he says My father is working until now, and I myself am working. This is verse 17. And and I want you to understand that, that the father is always working. He's always doing something in our world. He's never passive. This is his world, his creation, his will. And God is always at work. And so we see here, the first principle is that we have to understand that. That God is always around us, always doing something. And we, as his creation, need to be aware what our creator is doing. God is always work. 
But look at the second principle here that Christ is saying here, is that all of God's work is Christ's work. And I myself am working. Whatever God is doing, Christ is about the same work. We don't really see it in verse 17. Let me go to one more verse here. Let's go down to verse 18. Verse 18 says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, that's what Pastor Adam taught us last week, that Christ was breaking the Sabbath by you know, walking, picking up his mat. But, even, uh, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. When Christ says, my father's working and I myself working, the Jews knew exactly what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? God is the creator. And I am doing the same work that my father's doing. They wanted to kill him for this. This was a huge statement. This is blasphemy. This is someone saying that he is God. He was making God his father, making himself equal with God. Christ is saying, whatever God's doing, everything working around me, I'm doing the same thing. And they hated him for it. They couldn't stand it. No one dare call yourself God. No one dare say that you know, God is your father. You don't have that kind of relationship with God the Father. So I'm going to take a moment here to just kind of look at this Going back to our first study in John, let's look at what Christ has to say about going about his Father's work. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being. This is the way John starts the book. And he's telling you, you know what? Christ was with God in the beginning. All things came into being by Christ. Apart from him, nothing is made. At the very first chapter, Christ is making the assertion, I'm with God. I'm part of God's creation. I, I'm sorry, I'm creating. When God is creating, I'm there creating with God, making himself equal with God. So it's interesting when we think about it, when God's creating the world, John 1 is teaching us, Christ is right there. Nothing can be made outside of God. Whatever God is doing, God the Father is doing, Christ is right there in the creation process. Christ is present as God is creating. He's always about his Father's work. Remember that? How about another story in the Old Testament? You guys know the story of Noah. In the story of Noah, Christ is foreshadowed as the ark. This is from Matthew 24. Um, Unaware until the flood came, they were all swept away. This is Noah's time. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. So in Matthew 24, Christ is saying, you know, at the time of Noah, when the flood came, they were all killed. Everyone outside of the ark. The only people that were saved were those inside the ark. Christ is saying the same thing. When the Son of Man comes and the coming of Son of Man, no one will be safe unless you're inside Christ. If you're inside the ark, you're safe. If you're inside Christ, you're safe. That's Matthew 24, Christ foreshadowed. Also from John 1, there's a story of uh, the account of Christ talking to Nathan, Nathaniel, he's one of the disciples, he's calling him, he said, truly, truly, he's talking to Nathaniel, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. So what is he equating himself to? Remember Jacob, when he's running away from his brother Esau, and we had this vision of like these angels going up and down as ladder, like, what is that all about? That's a foreshadowing of Christ. Christ says, you're going to see greater things in John 1, 49, the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The only way to heaven is this bridge called Christ. Christ is the only way you can get to heaven. These going up and down, these angels going up and down, it's Christ that they're coming upon. 
Christ, again, foreshadowed, involved in God's work. This is all the way back in Genesis. Christ is saying, you know what? I'm present, even in these visions that Jacob was having. And then in John 3, what we learned just a few weeks ago, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is from John 3.14. So when Moses was um, telling the people, everyone that got bitten by the serpents, you have to look at this bronze snake, look at this bronze snake and you'll be saved. And everyone that looked at the bronze snake was saved. Christ is saying that just like the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man will be lifted up and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Christ is saying, that's me. That's me. I'm that bronze serpent all the way back in Moses' time, I am foreshadowed. I am there going about, as God's working with the Israelite people, I'm right there in the midst, working with my Father. Christ is saying, wherever my Father's working, I'm working. Okay, one more example. This is from Matthew twelve forty. For as Jonah was in three days, three nights in the whale's belly, so the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Just like Jonah was swallowed up by that fish for three days, and three nights. Christ will be swallowed up by the earth for three days and three nights. God working in this prophet named Jonah. All the things you guys know about that story, Christ is foreshadowed. And that same thing will happen to Christ, being inside the earth, um, the heart of the earth, for three days and three nights. So what I'm trying to express here is just what Christ is saying. Christ is saying, my Father is working until now, and I myself am working. Everywhere you see God working, Every time you see God doing something, Christ is right there in the middle of it doing his Father's work. It's not two separate things. Wherever God's working, Christ is working. And Christ is aligning himself with the God's will. Aligning himself with what God is doing and saying, I'm right there in the middle of it all. Don't miss what Christ is saying here. It's very important. Okay, let's go a little deeper into our passage today. Truly, truly, I say to you, The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So we just learned that Christ is doing everything that the father is doing. Wherever the father is going, Christ is doing. But now he teaches us some interesting things. Let me ask you some questions to help us look at these verses. Who is always at work? God, correct. It is always God the father. The God the father is always at work. He's always doing something. He's always doing some kind of work. Another question. How much can Christ do by himself? According to the verse, how much can Christ do by himself? Strange, right? Christ says, I can't do anything by myself. I can do nothing um, on my own accord. I, I can't do anything. So look at the Trinity. We're learning a little deeper about the Trinity now. How does Christ and God the Father work? They are interlocked. The Son can't do anything without the Father. The Father doesn't do anything without Christ. The Holy Spirit is always there to seal and bind our hearts together. The Holy Spirit is this person, three persons, doing these incredible works, always interlinked together. One more question. What does the Son do? What does the Son do? Yeah, Father's will. Father, whatever the Father does. What is, what is Christ doing? It's whatever the Father's doing. What is what's Christ? I'm always about my father's business. I'm always doing what my father tells me. I'm always about God's will. These two are, are just mere images of each other. Separate in, in their function, but one in unity. 
it's interesting that Christ is teaching us here about the Trinity. So, learning some of these principles is very good. But I'd like to spend the rest of my time now trying to figure out how does this affect us practically. So we learned some deep truths that Christ is always about his Father's work. Christ is always interlinked with God the Father. That Christ says, I can't do anything by myself, but I'm always doing what my Father does. I'm linked to the Father. How does this apply to us? How do these truths affect us? So, one of the things I was reading this week, it says if you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. So, we keep thinking about things from a certain perspective. And, and maybe this morning we can help think about things from a different perspective. So this is the question we normally ask. For all of us Christians in the room, we always ask this question. This is a question that might be the wrong question, by the way, to ask, but all of us ask it nonetheless. What is God's will for my life? You think, Gordon, that's a godly question. I think that's a great question to ask. I, I think I should find that out for my life, and I think I should be about that all the time. But you're probably jumping ahead of me here and realizing that's probably not the way Christ approached things. Just learning from what we did, that the Son can do nothing of his own accord. He only sees what the Father's doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The better question, the more biblical question, is probably this. What is God's will? And I think you see the big difference between the two. Because the first one says, what about my job? What about my, where's Matt, my hot girlfriend? I'll never forget that you said that. What about my hot girlfriend, right? You know, what about, you know, what I want what about my school? What about my future? What about the things that are concerning me? You know, God, aren't you going to help me? Aren't you going to serve me? Aren't you going to do the things that I want on my want list? And Christ is saying, you know what, that's probably the wrong perspective. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about the things on your agenda list. And Christ has it right, as always. He says, what is God doing? What is the Father about? How's the Father working around this world? And then we line up. But normally, here in America, it's all about me and my rights and my wants and my desires and what I want. And we think, you know what, God, you've got to get in line with me. Get in line with what I want. And Christ's saying, no, that's really not the right question. That's the wrong question. The right question is, what is God doing? What is God doing in this world? So if we think of it that way, we can think about all these things that happened what is God doing in creation? What's God doing you know, during Noah's time, during Jacob's time, during the Israeli time, during the time of the prophets? And the guys that get it right line up with God. The guys that are, are following God, they say, you know what? What is God doing? How is God handling it? And the prophets and the men like Moses and Noah and Jonah eventually, you know, he gets, he gets in line with God. Their wills come second, third, fourth, fifth. It's God's will that comes first. It's God, what is God doing around me? How is God working? What is God's picture? And when you get the big picture of what God is doing, when you know God's word well, when you study God and pray, listen to the Holy Spirit, when you get that thing right, then it's kind of easy to find out what the right will is. And then we find out, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father's doing, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise, God's will. See what Christ is teaching us here in these verses. Get this right first. Find out what God is doing. Line up with God. Put God first. And we, we sang about that all this morning. Every song that we sang this morning told us to put God first. 
And it's not so much about me and mine and, and what I want. We're learning what God does and we line up with him just like Christ. Just like Christ. Okay, let me go to one more verse and we'll do some more practical things here. So, uh, toward the end of what we read this morning, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This word here is very important. The word here, here is this akuo. To report and understand when you go deeper into this is to hear with your heart. So it's not just being here this morning and hearing John being spoken or hear Christ. It's not just hearing God's word literally. If you're going to be changed this morning, you have to hear with your heart, your life, your very being, something that's deep inside you. You have to realize, man, God is speaking this morning. Not Gordon, not anyone else here. It's God. And it's Christ and his word speaking at a very deep level. And we hear with our heart. If you hear with your heart, you'll be changed this morning. Because God's word is powerful and strong. Okay, now let me jump back to the practical now. So if we're hearing with our heart, and I'm just saying the stage here, if we hear with our heart, I, I want to teach you that God is always at work. Let's just take that as a fact. All of us know that. We know what God is doing almost everywhere, whether it's your workplace, your family, here in this church, your cell group, your relationships. God is always working. You just open up your eyes. You're going to see God working all around you. And when we recognize that that's God's work, I think that's the first step. We have to realize God is always working around us. He's always doing something. Could be Philly missions, could be the bake sale, could be your fancy dance, could be whatever it is. God is always working around you. Okay, now this is the jump that most Christians want to do. And this is dangerous here because once we know God's working, we, we know God's will, we have some knowledge here. We want to do what? We want to get people to obey and experience God's will. Because in some ways, we as Christians know what's best. When we know God's will, we're like, that's best for you, and we want to do it, and we want to kind of force it on people. And the danger comes when we see, let's say, a broken relationship between father and daughter. We say, man, you daughter, you have to submit, you have to honor your mother and father. You have to just, you know, listen to what they say. They know what's best for you. Then we tell the, the father, don't exasperate your daughter. You know, don't frustrate her. And we just kind of pound it in. We want that family relationship to be restored. You know, same thing with a couple, maybe going through a hard time, maybe thinking about divorce. They say, you know what? Husband, you have to love your wife. And wife, you have to submit to your husband. And don't get divorced. So we, as Christians, we're trying to push them right into the correct behavior. Or we know someone that just has a broken relationship with each other. We, we quote Matthew 18. You know what? Leave your offering on the altar and go and be reconciled right now with them. We're like, What's wrong with you? you know, go and, and fix it right now. And so as Christians, we push toward the obedience, which again, is not a bad thing. But we're circumventing something in Scripture that I think is very important. Um, I'll give this example because uh, it's personal. It's personal. And you'll find out how personal it is in a moment here. But um, when my kids are very small, Julie and I often had to split up to come to church, and sometimes Julie had to go first, and I didn't happen often, but sometimes I get stuck with Mar, Lady, Abby bringing them to church. And they were probably, I'm going to guess, like two, four, and six, somewhere in that range, or two, four, five, somewhere in that range. And so, um, if I, oh, three, four, five, okay, they're three, four, five, that's what ages they'd be, okay, okay, three, four, five, okay, that, that's right. 
Um, so as I was getting the kids ready, you know, it's, it's my will versus their will. We're going to be on time, we're going to get to church, and we're going to go. And um, my skills at getting the kids ready is very low. So uh, the kids, I said, you know, look fine, let's get going. Like, Dad, our hair's all messed up. You fix my hair, and I don't know how to do a ponytail. I don't know how to do anything. I know this plastic thing. It's like this plastic thing. You go like this and put it over their head, and I did that. So I said, every one of you, and I put it in. I pushed one, pushed two, pushed three, and, and the kids are like, you know, their hair's sticking out. They're like, and I said, stop fussing. It's done. And they're like, and they're standing like, <laughs> you know. And then especially Liddy. Liddy was really mad. She's like, Dad, I can't get my dress on. And I was like, okay, Liddy, just come here. And I pull her dress on. I'm putting the buttons on. I'm buttoning up her dress. And she's going, Dad, Dad. And I said, Liddy, be quiet. We're going to be to church, and we're going to church, and we're going to be on time. And, and she's looking at me, and she's mad. I could see, like, steam coming out. But I'm like, stop fussing. Get your jackets on. Get to the car, and we're going to go. And we did it. We got to church on time. And I was like, this is great. They were so proud. I was so proud of myself. And because now our church look, now our family looks good. We're an elder's kids. The elder's kids look good. We're all in church on time. And our family looks good. And it makes dad look good. And something I'm really happy. But I watched Liddy. She marched right over to, to Julie here, church. Mom, look what dad did to me. <laughs> and her hair is sticking out. And then Julie goes, oh, yeah, your dress is on backwards. And all these things, you know, she gone, and all these things. And Liddy's steaming, and so he took her into the bathroom and fixed her all up. But it was interesting because I want my kids to obey me. I know what I want. I want to be on church on time. I want our family to look a certain way. I want, as a dad, to look like I'm a successful dad. I want all those things. But I force it on my children. I make them do it. And as I learned as a father, as I'm evolving as a father, I realized as they became middle school children, especially teenagers, it doesn't work so well when dad says, you must do this. I remember a battle we had about sandals, like those flip-flops. I do not like flip-flops. You can't go to the airport. You can't go to church with flip-flops. And my kids fought me, and I was like, no, you're gonna, you, you are going to put on real shoes, and you're not going to the airport that way. And it was these battles we'd have. And it was my will versus them. And I'm learning as a father over time that I didn't build the relationship. I didn't spend time to really explain, this is why I want to do these things. It was just, I know best, you obey. And again, I think Christians often have that same attitude. that You know what? I know better. I know you need to reconcile. You need to obey. You need to honor. You need to not divorce. Whatever it is, we tell them. But we didn't do the groundwork. We didn't spend time to really help them understand God's will and why we do God's will. So just bear with me as I go through this. One way we can do this, this is from um, Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God. So if we understand God's work, one thing we can do, we can invite people into a relationship with God. And this is done, uh, I'm going to use the example of Moses. So God has a great heart for his people. Israel is now enslaved in Egypt. And what God says to Moses, he goes, Moses, Moses, he's calling him. Remember Moses has been herding sheep for 40 years in the desert. And all of a sudden, there's this voice, and it says, Moses, Moses. He calls Moses into a relationship with God. And then he gives an invitation. He says, you know what, Moses? Come close to me. Take off your sandals. This place you're standing is holy ground. And he invites Moses to come very close. Moses, I want to be close to you. I want to tell you something. And then you guys know this part, that when God speaks to him, he 
he says, you know what? I see my people in slavery. I don't want my people to be in slavery. Moses, I want you to go to my people and free them, bring them out of Egypt. Remember that? That's an interesting conversation. And Moses has been invited into a relationship with God. He's been called into the holy ground. And Moses is standing in a burning bush. And what does Moses say? Remember? Aaron? No, not me. These guys know, right? No, I, you know, it's not me. I, I, you got the wrong. He's like, I think you got the wrong guy. I, I'm just a shepherd out here. I don't speak well. I'm not eloquent. I can't do that. That's the most powerful guy in the land. I used to be in that court. I, there's no way I'm going back to that court and, and confronting Pharaoh. I just can't do it. There's a crisis of belief. Moses is like, I'm not your guy. I am not your guy. What does God say? Who's sending you? I am is sending you. God, Jehovah, is sending you. God Almighty, El Shaddai, I'm the one sending you. I'm going to do it. You don't have to worry about those things. You're just going in my name. You're just a messenger. And so Moses adjusts. He's like, okay, God, I don't think I'm your guy, but if you called me, you called me into this relationship, I will be your guy. I'll be your messenger. I'll go to Pharaoh. And then, number seven, he goes. Now see what happened here? God's work was to call Moses to go to the court of Pharaoh and free his people and lead his people out of Egypt. That's what we want. We want number seven. God wants number seven too, by the way. But God calls into relationship, invites us in, speaks his word, and then we have to wrestle. We have to like, man, God, this is what you want. This is what I want. And God wrestles this out of us. He says, you know what? Not your will, but my will be done. And God says, you know what? That is the attitude we need to have, just like Christ. So it's a very different way of going about God's will because we all want number seven, but God in his wisdom brings us through a very important process that every one of us has to go through in order to follow God's will. Now we might get people to do number seven, like go reconcile or obey your parents or go evangelize, you know, go on Philly missions, but unless we do the homework, Unless we spend the time, unless we love the people the way that Christ and God loves us, the actions don't mean a whole lot. You know, we, we get the behavior, but that's not what God wants. Remember we talk about hearing with our heart and really obeying the Lord. God wants our heart. God wants the whole person. And when we think about the way God loves us and, and carefully brings us along each of these steps, this is called Experiencing God, by the way, by Henry Blackaby. When, when we understand all that, then we can obey joyfully. We can know because we know what God's doing. We know what God has invested in, in us. We've already wrestled with God. We already gave him our doubts and our fears, and God has assured us. Now we can take that step of faith of number seven, and it's quite easy. It's quite joyful. It's quite wonderful. It's, it's stepping into something that is always meant to be. But we can't circumvent God's process of going through all these things. So I'm going to tell you that Christ probably went through these things in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe not every one of these steps, but remember what Christ says when he says, you know what, God, this is a pretty hard cup for me. I don't really want to drink of this cup. And there's this crisis, and he goes, you know what, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I think I got backwards before, sorry. But I think he said, not my will, but your will be done. He does it, and he goes to the cross. I think Paul does this too. And Paul on the road to Damascus, he's like, who are you, Lord? There's this relationship being established, and, and for a week he's blind, you know, and finally he, he realizes, I'm realizing I'm persecuting the Lord. And, and Paul comes around. Matter of fact, every godly man in scripture probably has some 
process. Godly woman in scripture has some process of this going on. And each of us, if we're really going to obey and experience God, has to go through the same process. Wrestling with this. Understanding God and and, and giving our will. Finally, as Christ's belief, we have to submit to God's will. And then we can obey and experience God in a whole new level. But this is what Christ is trying to teach us through these principles. So, let's take a look. For whatever the Son does, excuse me, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Christ himself is always our example. He submitted to the Father's will, but God's will above his own. Had the ability to always uh, see what God is doing. And I'm praying for you. If you guys look on your sheets, you have that little chart on your um, uh, white harvest sheets. You can take a look. And I hope that you wrestle with this this week, today, as you go through white harvest. Where is it that I'm having the crisis of belief? Where is it that I don't even see God working? You're somewhere on a chart somewhere. And I pray that you wrestle this out. Find out what it is that God is doing. Understand that God is speaking to you. And then as you wrestle this out, that you obey and experience God in a whole new level, just like Christ did. Okay, why don't we close in a word of prayer.